Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. New Year uh, again as we uh, open to God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, open with me if you would to 1 Kings. Uh, the book of 1 Kings will be in chapters 11 through uh, 14, 16, somewhere in there uh, during our sermon uh, today. As I was talking with uh, within our family this week, it became apparent that there'd be a reminder every time we said this year's year, 2021. And one of our family members pointed out that, uh, well, it's 2020. It's a reminder that 2021, right? It beat us in many ways. It was a challenging year. And so every time I hear that this year, I think I'm going to be reminded of the year that was behind us. But I'm excited about what's ahead. And and this morning, as we open God's word, we have an opportunity, I think, to see how uh, our behaviors, our patterns of life, the way we are living makes a difference, not just for our generation, not just for our kids, but for generations to come, uh, for positive or for for negative. Uh, The way we live really matters. And I just want to welcome this morning those of you who are online. We say that each and every Sunday, but we are uh, mindful of you uh, because we realize that we've missed seeing your faces. And my prayer this year is that uh, as things move along, hopefully with this vaccine, that more and more of us will feel comfortable uh, to to be in the room and to be together again. And that's what I'm going to be praying for. And I know many of you are hopeful for the very same things. But this morning, uh, we are continuing our journey through the Bible. We're in chapter 14. And if you're new to us, the, the, we're walking through a, a study called The Story. Uh, it's 31 chapters, 31 stories that basically make up the entire uh, Bible. We don't read through every single verse that's there, but it gets to a major portion of what this uh, story in Scripture is really all about and uh, how it's meaningful. And, and some of us at this point, we're getting to the point where we're like, I, I hope Jesus comes soon. I'm ready to move through the Old Testament. I think that's part of the design of the story is a longing for Jesus, just like those in the first century would have had. We've got a few more weeks before we're going to get to the story of Jesus. Uh, we've traveled so far uh, through the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the Exodus story and so on. And, and Israel has journeyed into the promised land. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the uh, pro- probably the most famous kings of Israel. We've, t- we've talked about Saul, the first king, King David and his journey in life, and then Solomon. And this, this morning, we're going to continue into uh, the division that happens in the kingdom of Israel and some of the kings that occur uh, after that. 
So we're in chapter 14 of the story again. 1 Kings 11 through 16 will be where we'll be in, in the text this morning in Scripture. Uh, but let's open with prayer as we start this new year, uh, journeying through the Bible with God once again. God, we open our ears and we open our minds and we open our lives to you. And God, our prayer is that we would not just read these stories and, and, and read these words as if they're just some story that are a myth of some point in the past, God. But these are actual people, God, who lived, who experienced your, your Holy Spirit, who experienced a hope and a longing for your son, Jesus, the Messiah, to come into the world. And God, we live after the time of Jesus. What a gift it is to live in an, a period of time where we can know how to receive salvation. We can enter into relationship with you. We can experience the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus in our lives. And God, there are many in, in our lives that have not made that decision yet. And we long as a church to be a church that's a light on a hill, uh, a, a city that people look to, a, a people that they look to to know that in their darkest moments or even in their just mo most mundane moments that we're a people who are living a life, who found answers that we wanna help others find as well, that we found a way to the abundant life in Jesus. And God, some of us need much more of that in, in this new year. We're praying for more abundance. Uh, but others of us are just struggling to find it again. And God, wherever we find ourselves, I know you meet us exactly there on our journey. And I pray this morning that you would encounter us in these words that you've inspired through your Holy Spirit. And I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, one of the core values that Greenville Oaks uh, holds on to and believes is really important as we lean into 2021 is the value of equipping families. We think it's vital that we're a church that helps families live out faithful lives in a culture that does so much to destroy healthy families. Now, few of us can claim to have grown up in, in perfect families. We realize that, that generationally there are challenges that occur that our parents experienced and that shapes so much of our life as well. And, and we realize that those of us who have families of our own, we're not really under the illusion that we did it or are doing it perfectly either. But what we do believe is that God uses families as a basic building block of establishing faith in the community around a family. And we're well aware that families at Greenville Oaks are not one size fits all. A family can look any which way, but we want to equip you no matter how exactly your family situation looks like in this season to see faith be the primary shaper of your life and the life of your family. So as you're thinking about this new year and commitments you may be making about the person that you want to become a year from now, I hope today will help do just that. It'll lean into that value of helping us equip our families to see generational faith passed on in the days ahead. Now, one more thing before we get to today's story. Already during the story, we've discovered that there are, uh, there's a lower story and an upper story that the story really gets into in each of these 31 chapters. The lower story are those 31 stories. It's the mundane details of life. We've read about Abraham and Moses and Ruth and Esther, and we'll read about Jesus in the days to come. And like those characters, we live in our own lower story. We see things from our perspective where we pay the bills and we go to work and we deal with sickness and we live in relationships and we mow the lawn. It doesn't always make sense though in the lower story, does it? A lot of our lives, we look around and we wonder, why did it happen the way it's happened? Why are the challenges we're facing right now the way it is? 
But I want to assure you in these stories and in our own story, there is an upper story as well. And you'll miss the upper story if you get too caught up in the details of the lower story. Now, the upper story is the larger story from a a perspective much further back of what is God doing uh, all across time? What's the story he's telling across all of these 31 stories and the stories we're living today? Because God is taking this story somewhere, trying to establish relationship with his children, no matter how far off they might be. And while life may not make sense all the time from the lower story perspective, if you take a step back, maybe a generation back, you begin to look back, you can see the work of God's details in your life. I found that the moments when I'm most confused about what God may be up to in my life, if I just wait a little while and I trust, I begin to see how all of those paths came together. This is the truth about God. He's up to something, even when it seems like he's up to nothing. (laughs) Maybe right now is one of those moments where it feels like, where is God? Is is he just up to nothing right now? And I just want to assure you right now, God is working behind the scenes of your life, bringing together connections and relationships that you couldn't establish on your own. And many of you could amen that this morning because you can look back on your own life and see God's work. So we're going to dig into chapter 14 of the story But eventually in this chapter, I want us to take a step back and ask a question about the upper story. And so keep an eye on that perspective as we get into the story in 1 Kings uh, chapter 12 this morning. This marks a, a turning point in Israel's history. Since God planted his people in the promised land, Israel has known three kings up to this point, King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. But because of the sins present in all three of these kings, the kingdom of Israel finds itself in a difficult situation when Solomon dies. Because when Solomon dies, he passes off his kingship to his son, Rehoboam. But when Rehoboam arrives in Shechem for the coronation, the people of Israel have a demand. They have a request that they make of King Rehoboam for this soon-to-be king. And this is where we pick up the story. If you have your story book with you, it's uh, page 194 of the story. This is in 1 Kings 12, verses 4 and 5 that I'm reading from now. Again, this is the crowd saying this to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, the new king of, of Judah. Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Basically, their request is, could you just treat us better than your dad did? (laughs) Interesting way to start a term of king. But he says something that's not really helpful. I mean, the right response is, well, of course I'll treat you better than my dad did. But that's not what he says. He said, would you give me three days? Would you go away for three days? And I'll come back with a response. And so he seeks input from two different groups after, during those three days. He goes to consult first with the village elders. And, and this is their advice as we read on 1 Kings 12, verse 7. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people, and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Isn't that great advice? Right, the elders say, look, a servant leadership is how you lead people well. And if they're asking you to be less harsh than than, than King Solomon, go ahead and do that, right? Treat them better, serve them well, because if you serve and that's your mode of leadership, people will come along and they'll follow. Then he seeks the advice of the young men that he'd grown up with. 
They have far different advice. This is verse 10. The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. In other words, go tell the people of Israel, you think dad was harsh? Just wait till you see my reign. I'm going to dominate you until you submit to my will. And guess how the people respond to that? Not so well. So Rehoboam rules over his father's tribe, the tribe of Judah in the southern part of Israel. And there's another man, a guy named Jeroboam. Apparently it was popular to put Boam on the end of your name if you were going to be a king in the season. So Jeroboam becomes the king over the north, the 10 tribes in the north of Israel. So if you, you'll actually look at the map on the screen that should be up there, we, we see a map of the divided kingdom. And, and on the north, again, it's Israel. Those are those 10 tribes. And uh, Jeroboam is the king of the northern part. In the southern part, now it's Rehoboam, who's Solomon's son, who is over Judah. This is the division that's occurred in Israel at this time. Well, Rehoboam doesn't exactly like the hand he's dealt. So when he arrives in Jerusalem, he calls together all of the tribe of Judah. And you're, if you're doing your math, you're realizing, wait, one tribe, Judah, and 10 tribes in the north. What, aren't there 12 tribes? Yeah, well, Benjamin is there in the south, and he actually calls them to uh, prepare for war. And 180,000 young men are prepared to go to war with Israel in order to reunite, to regain the northern kingdom. But then a man of God, a prophet of God named Shemaiah, shows up on the scene and he comes to deliver a message to Rehoboam. I don't know if you saw that movie this last year or maybe it was two years ago. It's hard to remember when things come out at, at this point, but uh, the movie was 1917. There's this scene, it's a World War I movie, a remarkable movie, just how the movie shot, but there's this scene where this, this soldier's trying to go with a message and deliver and he runs across the field trying to get to the commander to say, you don't wanna go into battle because there are people that can see more that's going on tries to deliver a message not to send the troops out of the trench to be massacred by the Germans. This is how I imagine Shemaiah coming to Rehoboam. First Kings 12, verse 23, this is the message the man of God gives. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. Now that's a hard word, isn't it? God says, this is my doing that you're not supposed to go forward with this. Just accept the Southern kingdom that's been handed to you, Rehoboam. Now we all live in the lower story as we talked about earlier. And most of us have found ourselves in the place that Rehoboam is in. A time in our lives where we thought things were going to go forward better. We were ready to insert our will and, and, and make things as they should be. But then failure happened in one way or another. In this story, people didn't follow. And maybe you've had the same experience. The company folds. The marriage fails. The children are choosing a different path. The cancer is terminal. I mean, how many of you been where Rehoboam is with this kind of hard word that comes from the Lord or this dissatisfaction or disappointment of things not going as you'd hope? I, I have, and it's devastating. 
and you doubt yourself and you doubt your abilities in moments like these. You wonder if it's worth another shot. You wonder if God's hand is somehow set against you. But any way it ends up in those moments, self-doubt can begin to creep in, can it? You begin to wonder if your prayers are heard by God. You begin to wonder if maybe I'm the problem here. We tend to see ourselves at the center of the world. And, And that means we assume that when failure pops up, we must be the reason for that failure. But what we fail to see in moments like those are the factors outside of our control that often play a role in the stories that are going on in the lower story. We lose the bigger picture. And we wonder, why does our enemy succeed while we're failing? Why does Jeroboam get 10 tribes up north while I'm stuck in Jerusalem with one measly tribe and perhaps Benjamin as well? But we find out a bit later in the story that Jeroboam has his own issues, right? Jeroboam's not all he's cracked up to be. He sets up golden calves and Asherah poles and establishes idol worship in Israel And his son ends up dying and his sins are the very reason that God chooses to send Israel into exile. So while it seems like Jeroboam's winning with 10 tribes up north, there are problems going on in Israel. At the same time, Rehoboam is struggling with his situation in the south. But it doesn't look that way in 1 Kings 12. At that time in Rehoboam's life, he feels like a failure. But there's more going on in this story. And in the midst of whatever failure or self-pity you may be experiencing in this season, I want to assure you there's more going on than just your control over these situations. Remember, there's an upper story that we aren't aware of. God is up to something larger than the details that we sometimes get mired in and stuck in in our own story. And from Rehoboam's perspective in the lower story, it seems like a bad decision, his bad decision made... Uh, after listening to the young men around him, to be harsh was the reason that the kingdom was divided and why this all gets split up. And sometimes the failures we think are the result of our poor leadership or mistakes actually have little to do with us because there's more going on in this story that Rehoboam knows nothing about. Turn back with me, if you would, to the story of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. Because the story of this division in Israel happened and begins long before Rehoboam ends up on the throne. This is 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 4. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the god of, goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Now Rehoboam's in his story and he doesn't know all of this. 
All he can think in his own story is, look at the mistake I've made. I listened to these young men. I didn't listen to the elders. I must be the reason for this division in Israel. What Rehoboam doesn't know is that God had already determined this would be the path because of the sins of his father, Solomon. And Rehoboam doesn't know that. Even Jeroboam, who's in the north, knows this is the reason that he's in charge of those 10 tribes up north. Because in chapter 11, a little bit later on, the prophet Ahijah prophesied these words to Jeroboam. This is 1 Kings 11, verse 29. About the time Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah the prophet of Shiloh met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country. And Ahijah took hold of the new cloak and was wearing, he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. See, Jeroboam got the word of why this division's happening, but Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, doesn't see what everyone else seems to see. He didn't get the word from Ahijah. It wasn't Rehoboam's decision that caused this division in Israel. It was Solomon's decisions years before. See, from a human perspective, we often think that we're the reason for the failures around us, that we're the ones who, 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 who are the reason that God is doing what he's doing. But this story reminds us that God is often up to something much larger than the details and the assumptions we make in our own lives. And this is not an excuse to not own up to our mistakes. But it should cause us to pause before we assume that everything is about us. And here's where I want to speak a word about equipping families in this new year for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves in that stage of family life. When Solomon got caught up in the false gods his, his uh, wives worshipped, he had no idea in those moments about the consequences that would come, not just in his life, but for future generations. But Solomon's sin had a ripple effect on generations that would come after him. His son Rehoboam would experience the repercussions. The 12 tribes of Israel would be divided in the generation after his. His grandchildren and great-grandchildren are still feeling the effects of the sin of their forefather Solomon. And the same is true in our lives, isn't it? There are people watching online and there are people in this room who were dealing with the consequences of the sins of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Your parents' divorce still has an effect on your marriage, doesn't it? When you've seen marriage a particular way, it begins to shape the trust and the distrust that can happen in your own marriage in years that come on because you've seen marriage done a particular way. Your, your grandfather's addiction can still have power generations later for that alcohol addiction to continue on into future generations. And that can feel paralyzing because if you're like Rehoboam and you realize these decisions were made before me, then what control do I have over my life? It can make you feel powerless. There's nothing that Rehoboam can do to overcome the mistakes of his father. But in the midst of this story, as I'm talking about Solomon, we have to also look at another ancestor of Rehoboam's that's impacting his life now as well. I want to read about this in 1 Kings 11, verse 32, because it's not just Solomon that's affecting life going forward. It says there, but for the sake of my servant David 
and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, and not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in my eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees. I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you 10 tribes. I will give you one tribe, uh, give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I chose to put my name. Solomon's sin is the reason that Rehoboam sees this division in Israel. But Rehoboam remains king over Jerusalem because of the faithfulness of his grandfather, David. Yes, there's always more going on in the upper story than what we can see in the lower details of our lower story world. Here's why I want to speak a word over your influence that you have in your current and the future family that may come. Your sin has the possibility of having ripple effects and consequences that shape the generations that come after you. And I think it's really important for us to realize that, to see that the decisions we make aren't just decisions that are going to affect our salvation, aren't just going to affect our life, that they have effects beyond that often. But it is also true that your faithfulness can have a ripple effect that goes for thousands of generations. This is the equation with God, isn't it? The sins of the parents, they go three or four generations, but God's love, his blessing has bestowed a thousand generations. Now, I'm a perfectionist and it carries over to every part of my life, every facet. I wanna be a perfect parent, but the reality is I'm making mistakes all the time. I'm shaping my kids in ways that I don't intend to and I don't realize that they'll probably end up with some counselor on a couch in the future working out. They are going to experience the ripples of the sins that I'm living out right now. And David and Solomon were not perfect ancestors. But we do see a difference between David and Solomon. Solomon turns his gaze other places when he has the wisdom, this gift that God's given to him. He wasn't always wise. But then you've got David who made mistakes himself. But what we find out about David is he experienced and he, he professed a faithfulness to God in the midst of those sins and challenges. His heart always stayed connected to the God who had given him his kingship. What God is looking for in our lives is not perfection. What God is looking for from us is faithfulness. That when the mistakes come in our lives, We don't turn away and lose our connection to God forever, but it's in those moments that our hearts are turned back to God that we remain faithful in the moments of our imperfection. And that's the lesson for us, I think, from this story. Some of us right now are experiencing life like Rehoboam. We're wondering, God, why is all this happening? Sometimes not realizing that this has been in play for a lot longer time than our own lifetime. And, and we may not have as much control over our lives as we'd like to have. But at the same time, I speak that word to where maybe it feels like we don't have any choice or any impact. I want to speak the same word about David and Solomon that I think Rehoboam has in this generation. And that is he's experiencing these consequences, but he has an opportunity to continue that ripple effect of sin 
or he can continue the righteousness and faithfulness of his grandfather, David, that also ripples with blessing forward in the days ahead. I don't know what your story is right now, where you connect in this story. But here's what I do know from scripture and from this story that it's reminded me of the importance in my family system right now is I have an opportunity to shape and create ripples for generations that will come after me. My faithfulness has a way to do that, to provide blessing and to set a path for them. Right now, you may be saying, you know, if I look back at my past, I don't have anything in my past that points back to the faithfulness of previous generations. And right now, what you're doing is you're setting a new course. You're planting new seeds for your family and for the generations that will come after you. And I want to encourage you and say, you have the ability to do that through God's grace and mercy. But in the same way, our mistakes have a chance of passing on these ripples as well. And I want to encourage us in this new year to be planting seeds that will provide blessing in the days ahead. That even if we find ourselves in a place of of challenge or wondering like Rehoboam, why is all this occurring? We do have the ability with God to, to chart a new course forward. So maybe in this new year, this is an opportunity for us to, to plant those seeds again afresh in 2021 to be a people who commit to faithfulness in the midst of our sins and our mistakes and to ask God to bless the generations that will come after us. So I wanna pray for that right now, for us to be a people who will, who will set a new chart, who will set a new course for our family systems, who will lead our families in righteousness and that God will bless those seeds we planted. God, I thank you for all those who are hearing this story, a story that I had forgotten, a story about Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam. It's hard to keep them all uh, distinct, God. But this morning, we've been able to look into this story and to see that sometimes what we're facing are the lower details of our life, not realizing there's more that you're writing in your upper story. So God, I, for those of us who need to remove the guilt or need to remove from ourselves the um, the the mistakes that we're experiencing right now. God, I pray that we would repent of what we can be sorry for, but God, for the things that are beyond our control, that you would change them in the generations ahead because of the faithfulness we choose to commit to in this season. God, I thank you for those Davids in our past and our family histories, God, that have planted seeds of righteousness, that have grown up into oaks in our own family of people who've been sturdy, who've been planted by streams of water, God. I thank you for those people in our own church that are those oaks of righteousness that you planted in this church family here. But God, I know there are others that feel like everything is shifting around them and they're not quite sure how to, how to change a family narrative from what it has been. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit would walk beside those that are trying to take new steps and to plant new seeds in the ground. And God, that you would cause them to grow so that we might see faithful stories being told in the generations that continue along after us. God, I thank you for, for, for our families, the challenges that come with them, but also the blessings that are bestowed. And I pray, God, that we can be a church that nurtures and equips families to pass on faith in important and stable and, and vibrant ways, God, in these days ahead. We pray this this morning in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. I'll be standing now as we close our time this morning. As we close today, I want to I just leave this blessing with you. May you, my brothers and sisters, receive this blessing from previous generations, from the God who bestows blessing on all of his children. And may it go with you and may it go with your children and with your grandchildren and all future generations that come after you. Go in peace today.
Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.